wonder how you view the church. If we take a stock, and we do that from time to time, in fact, this past week we had in our presbytery what we call the state of religion meeting, uh, and I'm sure that we could say various measurements were made, some matters highlighted, perhaps a lack of or lack of progress in some areas, some matters that brought encouragement in some congregations. But we always need to be looking at ourselves uh, with some realism, and only then can we begin to tackle the challenges that become evident. And we know that we need to be faithful, but we need to be honest with ourselves. Whenever we turn to Zechariah and chapter 2, we have this uh, wonderful portion where the Lord, the angel, meets this man going out with a measuring rod in his hand. And he is asked a question, where are you going? Was he going out to measure Jerusalem? Well, it seems so, but for what reason? Well, we can't be sure. But we know that we can measure the church. The Jerusalem of today can be measured in different ways. <coughs> Some people will speak about the size, the number of people. Some will speak about faithfulness to the word of God. And so on. <coughs> there are different ways in which we can look at the church. If we are being honest, looking at our own congregation, it would be very easily, easy to be downcast, to be dispirited, to feel that very little is happening. We might measure it only to be discouraged. Hope that as we look at this passage, we will find matters for encouragement. We're thinking here to this evening <coughs> of glory in the church. Uh, and we're obviously going to have to take a broader view than sometimes have our own blinkered view of ourselves. First of all, I want to, to think a bit more then about the measuring of Jerusalem. The man, the prophet, looking up, sees a man going with a measuring line. Nothing complicated in his piece of equipment, but the question is, what is he going to do? Read that there very clearly at the beginning. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a leisuring line in his hand. I asked, Where are you going? And his answer is very straightforward to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. The great city was before him, and the picture is of a man going to measure, to measure Jerusalem. At walls, it was a definite place. He could measure it. Perhaps his thought, I just want to see how big it is and be able to rest in the size and the scope of Jerusalem. Sometimes we do measure things that will change, but a lot of them measure things that are stable, secure, and won't change. Certainly if you measure a building or even a city wall to see its dimensions, you know that those things ought not really to change unless you rebuild or do something of that nature. We are measuring a defined, stable thing that we perhaps don't expect to be transformed, to be changed, to be moved. 
We have cities that have walls built around them. We think of Jerusalem, but we could also think of a more local place like Londonderry, the walls of Derry. Well, now Londonderry has expanded long ago beyond the walls. But that was the defined city at one point. It's hard for us to imagine. And when it was measured, people thought, this is the city. Everyone inside the walls will be safe. We're not told why the man in Zechariah's vision was going to measure. What was in his mind? Was he looking for encouragement or what? We don't know. But when we measure, when we take stock of the church, it should be so that we can be rejoicing in the Lord. It should be that we would have a right attitude to the things of God. As I said, some people like to measure the church because their congregation is big, their church is big, and it boosts their own self of self-importance. And sometimes we meet people and there's a sort of pride. Now, we don't meet that very often. I don't think we do, but I have met people and there's almost a little, a little pride at a big church. If you're in America particularly, you have the mega churches. And if you're not big, then, well, you're not really counted. Some like to measure the church because they're saying we have a tight control on our members. We know exactly where people stand. And they can be very strict. Everything is cut and clearly, clearly measured. And they protect their church in a very clear way. And they have a very definite reason. They measure because they want to be sure that everyone is right with God. Not a bad thing, but it can lead to some difficulties too in that they can sometimes cut out from the measurement those who are in faith but weak and struggling and need encouragement. Today we're faced with a society where bodies that are large seem to take all in front of them and the church sometimes can feel that and we as a body can feel that as a small church. We're not big enough. We don't have enough clout. We're not able to make our voice heard and we could be disturbed. For that reason, we need to see the church as not just as ourselves, but as the wider kingdom of God, that we know that there is a bigger body out there. And so whenever we come to reflect and to measure, yes, we have to be sensible and realistic about our own local church, but we also need to remember there's a bigger picture. There's a wider body. There are more people in the world to count than just our few. There are, of course, people in the churches who are obsessed with the numbers. Evangelistic campaigns, they'll always tell you how many. And sometimes I like to ask them, well, how many in ten years' time? Let be wise, neither proud nor too discouraged as we think about the measurement of the church. And we can do that if we listen clearly to what the the next portion of Zechariah has to tell us. Because here is really the word of encouragement. We are not to get overworked by smallness nor bigness, by strictness and faithfulness, because here's what the Lord is doing. There is an extension to Jerusalem. 
the message given to the second angel indicates that really there was absolutely no need to measure Jerusalem in its size. It was going to be an outdated, futile exercise very quickly because there were those who were going to hear a call and they would come to Jerusalem. Read in verses 2 and 3. Then the angel was speaking to me left and another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. So Jerusalem was going to expand and be big. The city was going to grow. The population was going to extend beyond its boundaries. And so measuring was rendered redundant. It was going to be beyond measuring. That was going to happen because people were going to flee to Jerusalem. Verse 6 was going to be responded to. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape you who live in the daughter of Babylon. So he's, what is he depicting? He's depicting the word of God going out to their exiles in Babylon, to those who are in the world. And he's saying, come into the Jerusalem. Take heed to yourselves and come to the Lord God Almighty. In other words, the message was going to be proclaimed and many will listen to it. The promise of God is that those nations and people who continue to reject and to act against God's people will find his hand against them. Because what does it say? That little phrase, <clears throat> we could have passed over it so easily, so quickly, in verse uh, where he speaks, you touch the apple of my eye. How lovely that is. That's how God counts his people, those who reject the way of God, those who come against the church. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. God will act against those who go out with such futility. Verse 8. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Here is what you and I are to be concerned today is the extension of the church. Yes, we must be wise. We need to take stock. But our real focus needs to be on declaring the message. Come, come, flee from the Babylon of the world. Come to Christ is what we need to be proclaiming. We must declare to those who oppose the Christian church, they are opposing God. In fact, when they act against the church of Christ, they are touching the apple of his eye and they will reap his wrath. Those who persecute the people of God in any way should be told, you are going to pay for that. You think God can't do it? Well, in the past, he has done it. The very slaves have overthrown their masters. And God has been glorified. 
The mission of the church is to go out and declare to those in Islam and Catholicism in any ism of the world Jesus is the way of life. He is the only way. And unless a man is born of the Spirit of God and believes in the name of Jesus Christ, he will not be saved. But we are calling to come and repent and believe. And that's the message we need to continually and with ongoing zeal proclaim. And when we're doing that, then we will know we don't really need to worry too much about the measurements of the church. The true Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, will be built. We may be going through a time in our own country, in our own society, where church growth, where church extension, where (coughs) we're seeing decline, rather than growth. And if you take all the numbers, that's probably the statistic that we need to keep a wider view. We have sent missionaries into all the corners of the world as a kingdom of God. And what are we finding in other places? There are those who are flocking to hear the gospel. We read and hear of what is happening in East Asia. We think of what's going on even where there's persecution in India. People coming to know Christ. They're hearing the message of the gospel. The measurements of the church can't be made because we don't know how many in some of those countries are calling to the Lord quietly and trying to avoid detection by their persecutors. And so here's an encouragement to us. We may not see our work prosper, but what we need to do is keep on calling and witnessing for the glory of God and calling people out of the dark. And we need with that to be crying out to God to show mercy to our neighbors and our friends and to bring them back in from the wickedness of their own land. Many of walking in bypath meadows not aware of the difficulties and troubles that are facing them in eternity. So the gospel is to go out into every place and every person to call them out of today's Babylon, a world that is lost. And so the kingdom of God, the church, the true Jerusalem will be extended. Then thirdly, as we read and think about what is spoken here, I want to speak about the security of the church. Sometimes people get very worked up uh, about uh, the people coming into the church and will they change the dynamic? Will, will this affect us? And there's a reticence. They're, they're worried about the, will the church remain strong? Or sometimes we can look at the world around us and we think, is the church going to survive in a culture where everything goes except the gospel? And we wonder, will the word of God, will the church, will those of us who are faithful to Christ, will we be able to cope? Well, here is God's answer to us. He will be a wall of fire around us. <coughs> yes. Those who will be called to faith in Jesus Christ, who may make your life and mine uncomfortable. They come in from a broken world with broken lives, with lives that are warped. And it's going to take time to straighten them out. 
They're not righteous and holy. They're not suddenly going to be the kind of person that we sometimes far too often automatically expect them to be. Yet if they're truly converted, we will see them grow and at times they will put us to shame who have been in Christ for so long because they will have zeal for the things of God. Sometimes they can make life difficult and challenging for those of us who are trying to lead them. But here's our security. It is in Jesus Christ. Because what do we read in this word? He says to them uh, back in verse uh, uh, 5, which may well be the text, I myself will be a wall of fire around and I will be its glory within. God will be doing the work. You and I will be used as instruments in his hand. If we are faithful to God, he will honor our efforts. And so the angel answers the unspoken question of the young man. How can the borders be safely extended? God says, don't you worry about that. I will look after the borders. I will be a ring of fire. Those who come against the church, God will deal with them. Those who come into the church, visible and are yet but liars and cheats and seeking to destroy from within, God will deal with them. And he will give those who are charged with responsibility wisdom and knowledge as to how to speak to them, to show them that they're still lost, that just because they put on a veneer of church belonging, they're not yet right with God. So the protection comes from the hand of the Lord working out His purposes for the glory of His name. (coughs) We have no other protection. There's nowhere else we can go. We as men and women must be wise, follow the scripture to the best of our ability, organize and discipline and act within the church. But when all is said and done, we're still utterly dependent upon the Lord our God. And he who is on his side will be with him. So we need to take note and rejoice The church is secure. Our congregation may not be secure, but that doesn't really matter in the broad scheme of eternity. If the work of God is going on and the kingdom of God is going to be one, we should be confident that if we're faithful in doing His will, all will be well. The kingdom of God will not be overwhelmed. Christ died for the church, for His people in the church, And that is sure and certain. And so when we see the extension of the church in other parts, and sometimes we worry about the way in which that might be infiltrated and the dangers that come from the world to them as they're persecuted, here's our answer. The Lord our God is a ring of fire, a wall of fire, protecting, leading, and directing. Then, fourthly, we want to think about the glory of Jerusalem that is spoken of at the end of verse 5. Because what does he say? Just It's a little statement. I will be its glory within. 
I will be its glory. Sometimes when something gets bigger and extends, we wonder where, where's the heart? Where's the real glory? I'm sure we've seen this in some towns when they grow bigger and bigger and bigger and spread out and out and out. Where's the heart of the town? Where's the real center? What is the thing that holds it all together? Well, what holds the kingdom of God, the church, together? It is the glory. The glory of God. Some churches have meeting places that are ornate. Cathedrals, highly decorated, intricate, wonderful designs. Humanly speaking, architecturally glorious. That will never hold anything together. Maybe a nice place to meet. But if the heart of the gospel is missing, if the glory of God is missing, it's not the church. It's not the true Jerusalem. We can appreciate the beauty of buildings. The craftsman's work. The designs. But what we are to look for in the kingdom of God and in the church is the glory of God. We're to look for Him in every single person and in every place. We're not to look at the size, big or small. We're not to look at the extensive ministries of a church. But we're to look to see where is the glory given to God. Here God tells the people the glory of Jerusalem would be He Himself. He will be at the focus. Everything will be directed to Him. And whenever people come to Christ, that ought to be what they're doing. Directed to the Father, through, by the Son, through the Son, for the glory of His name. For He gave His Son. So we are thinking this morning, there are times when we like to think of the glory of the church uh, and its steadfastness to truth and in other ways. May it be because it's the glory of God we're seeking. And how can we get that glory? Well, it's a matter of the true glory of God living in the lives of men and women. It's the aim of our activities to bring God into your life so that you will go out into the world shining as a glorious example of someone who loves God and serves Him. One who is indwelt by God for the glory of His name. And that glory will come whenever warped lives plucked from sin are straightened transformed and changed. Does that not bring glory to God? Of course it does. God is glorified when a society, because of many coming to faith in Jesus Christ, is turned around rebellion and sin to act in a God-honoring, law-keeping way and telling people the Lord has changed our lives. That's why it is good to read the stories of men and women who are converted, uh, who then give all God. The glory is not that they themselves have changed or that they've done anything to make themselves better. The glory is that God has touched the life of a beggar or a prostitute or a drug addict 
or someone who was rebellious in every way. And now they're sitting among the people of God, delighting in the Word, and can't get enough of coming before the living Lord. And that's to the glory of God. Because who changed them? Well, it wasn't themselves. For no man can do that. It was God, by His Spirit and His work. And the more we see people coming into the church, the more He will be glorified within. And we need to continually come back to giving Him the honor and the glory and saying, the Lord has done great things for us. (coughs) I wonder, are you and I bringing glory to God in our lives? Are we continually being transformed and saying, the Lord has helped me thus far? Maybe in your work, difficult thing. Do you give glory to God? This has been difficult, but God has enabled me, and I glorify Him. That's how the glory comes to dwell in the church. It is all about His work in our lives for the glory of His name. In the very last verse of the chapter, the prophet calls all mankind to be still. Verse 13, be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The Lord is at work. We need to be still sometimes, quiet in our lives, and take stock and note what the Lord is doing. We might get out the measuring rod, and we might be taking assessment of as a church. But let's always be encouraged. The kingdom is being extended. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God is the true Jerusalem. And that will bring glory to his name even as others come to him. And he is at security. We don't man or the world or people coming into the church with wrong motives. We have a God who can deal with all of those things. And he will do it so that he will be glorified. And as long as we keep desiring the glory, the honor of God rather than of ourselves, we will be doing him the service which we ought to give him. Amen.